Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we thank you for your grace and goodness. Uh, We thank you for uh, your love poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, uh, which has been given to us. And uh, we thank you that uh, because of uh, the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, we have uh, the privilege of seeing the beauty of uh, your demonstration of love in Christ uh, on the cross. And uh, as these things come together in our own hearts and we uh, confess Jesus as Lord uh, by the Holy Spirit, we uh, thank you that we have a very great salvation. Uh, Be pleased to bless us uh, this morning now as we uh, have opportunity to look into your word and uh, contemplate a little bit further as uh, we get into our study, uh, to contemplate a little bit further this uh, matter of love uh, in our own hearts and uh, in the congregation. So bless and strengthen us, we pray, and give us your grace, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll uh, try and follow the handout. Uh, No guarantees. Uh, But I will try. So uh, the first thing we're going to do is uh, just a a very quick review. Uh, uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is in the middle of a section in uh, the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, chapters 12. Uh, through 14. And uh, chapter 12 uh, begins with uh, this statement, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers. And uh, the, uh, the language in uh, the text can actually be translated now, spir- now concerning spiritual things. And uh, I think what the Apostle Paul is doing is launching into a discussion of various uh, spiritual things. And, of course, the major thing that he's uh, discussing is not only the uh, spiritual gifts uh, that are given in the body, uh, but also this matter of love. Uh, But you see, at the beginning of chapter 12, the first uh, spiritual thing that uh, Paul speaks of is Uh, Our confession of Christ, verse 3, Therefore I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except uh, in or by the Holy Spirit. And uh, so that's the first spiritual matter that uh, Paul comes to, this uh, great confession uh, of Christ. And then... Uh, In the following paragraph, he talks about uh, various gifts, and uh, when you get down to uh, verse 12, he uh, talks about uh, the body and how the body has many members, and uh, each of the members uh, have uh, various gifts. And at the end of chapter 12, he says, in verse uh, 30, Uh, Do all possess uh, gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. 
And uh, in verse 31, notice uh, this idea of desiring uh, the spiritual gifts. And then if you look at chapter 14 and verse 1, uh, uh, the same uh, theme occurs. Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. It's as though Paul uh, leaves off his argument at the end of uh, chapter 12 and then resumes it again at the beginning of uh, chapter 14. And that's exactly what's happening. And uh, as a result of this, chapter 13 is set off uh, by the the uh, uh, surrounding chapters, chapter 12 and uh, chapter 14. Uh, chapter uh, 13 uh, uh, turns out to be a little excursus on love. And uh, what Paul is getting at is the priority of love. And uh, uh, th- this is striking because, uh, as I mentioned last week, uh, Paul is a Hebrew, and uh, uh, often the Hebrews thought this way, uh, from the outside in. <laughs> this is how they would argue. And uh, 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 the people would hear this kind of argument. And so the, the primary point in this case is in the middle, uh, which happens to be this uh, discussion of love. And uh, then in uh, chapter 14, uh, we got through chapter uh, verse 25, and that's actually where I wanted to get uh, last week, uh, where Paul uh, talks about the use of the gifts in uh, the church. And he comes down to saying that prophecy is uh, better than tongues. And the reason that prophecy is better than tongues is that uh, uh, prophecy is a speech which is readily understandable in the congregation and is therefore profitable for the building up of the congregation. This is the idea. Paul is interested in the building up of or the edifying of the congregation. And so you see in uh, verses 24 and uh, 25 of chapter 14, But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or outsider enters, he is convicted by all, he is called to account by all, the secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so falling on his face, he will worship God and declare, God is among you. He will discern this. The outsider coming in will discern the fact that God is among you. Now, this betrays the basic question uh, that is underlying uh, what Paul is talking about and uh, the basic question that's underlying our study. Uh, what's the best way or the best evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in the midst of the congregation? See, th- th- this is the underlying question. And uh, you'll, you'll notice in... Uh, Uh, Verse 31 of chapter 12, Paul says, But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you a more excellent way. Uh, uh, To what end? In discerning the presence of the Holy Spirit in the congregation. Uh, Tongues is a way. Prophecy is a way. But what's the better way? Now he comes to chapter 13. 
love. Love is the better way of uh, uh, evidencing the Holy Spirit, or as I have in the outline, the best way. What's the best evidence? Uh, The best evidence is the evidence of love. And uh, so we come to uh, chapter 13. And uh, uh, again, uh, as I uh, said last week, my position is that tongues are known and understandable languages. Paul, in uh, the first three verses, and this is where we're really going in our uh, discussion this morning, in the first three verses says, If I speak in the tongues of men and angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, And if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away uh, all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Uh, Love is the more excellent way uh, for the uh, display of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. And uh, this is uh, where Paul is going. Uh, And uh, it's striking that he starts with tongues because uh, he's weighing in against uh, an abuse of this uh, spiritual gift. This is actually what's happening in this section of of, uh, 1 Corinthians. And uh, so, again, I'm saying tongues is uh, an intelligible and understandable language. So let's look at a, uh, to validate this, let's look at a couple of texts. Uh, first, uh, Acts 2. So uh, uh, turn with me to uh, Acts chapter 2. Uh, Acts chapter 2, 7 and uh, following. Uh, here's the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit comes upon uh, the gathered assembly and Uh, It says in verse 7, they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us his own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, uh, belonging uh, to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Aber- uh, Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues. What's the idea of tongue? Well, uh, uh, the tongue is the organ of speech. And uh, so this is the idea. Uh, this is speaking. Uh, the idea is speaking and the tongues are languages. Uh, no doubt that this is the case uh, in uh, Acts chapter 2. And if you go back to uh, 1 Corinthians 14, uh, look at verses 5 uh, and uh, 13. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 5. Now I want you all to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Uh, 
what has to happen? Uh, the tongue that's spoken must be interpreted, uh, indicating this is a language that is understandable when properly interpreted. Now, we wouldn't necessarily understand uh, the tongue or the language uh, if we're not familiar with it or unless it was uh, interpreted. And then also, verse uh, 13, Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. And uh, again, this is the idea that uh, the ability to speak in a foreign language, as in Acts uh, chapter 2, might be given supernaturally, but also, you see, there ought to be, if this is done in the congregation, an interpretation of the tongue. And the idea in uh, chapter 14 is that this also be given uh, supernaturally. Uh, well, uh, others may have uh, the ability to understand the language and uh, may be able to interpret without uh, a special gift. But it, in either case, uh, there ought to be an interpretation. Uh, so tongues are uh, a language and they're an evidence of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we find this out quite clearly in Acts chapter 10. Uh, so go back to uh, Acts chapter 10. And uh, then we're going to uh, dive into uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 13 more uh, specifically. But Acts uh, chapter 10 and uh, verses 44 and 48, uh, jumping into uh, the narrative again. While Peter was still saying these things, Peter preaching in the household of Cornelius, uh, a Gentile household. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles before for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, speaking in other languages. And uh, it, uh, to me it's striking uh, that they understood uh, that they were extolling God. Uh, there was something about what they were saying uh, that they understood uh, that they were extolling God. So these, uh, this is a, a text that shows us that tongues were an evidence of uh, the uh, presence of the Holy Spirit. And so the question then becomes, as we get into uh, 1 Corinthians 13, what is the best evidence? What is the best evidence? See, and, and this is where we're uh, going uh, with the study. And uh, uh, so as we get into first, uh, chapter 13, verse 1 again, if I speak... Uh, in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Paul places a priority on love by uh, way of comparison, by way of making comparisons. I may have these gifts, but if I do not have love, I am nothing. Now, it seems to me some perspective is needed on this. So, I'm saying that tongues indicate some form of speaking. 
And uh, as sometimes, I'd put it this way, the speaking indicates the presence of the Holy Spirit, but sometimes the speaking does not evidence the presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, why would I say this? A couple of texts again. Mark 1. Look at Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. And verses 23 and 24. Jesus is in the synagogue. And immediately there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Quite striking. The unclean spirit properly identifies Jesus. What have we to do with you, with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Now, what's striking here is, here is the speaking of a man, or we could even say, The speaking of an angel, a fallen angel, who properly identifies Jesus Christ as the Holy One of God. I think we have to key in on that fact, you see. Here's another example, Acts 16, 16. Acts 16, 16. Now, Paul was... No, that's chapter 17, isn't it? Uh, Chapter 16 and uh, verse 16. Uh, As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed... Paul and us crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Here's someone speaking by a spirit and speaking the truth. Striking, is it not? And speaking the truth But it turns out this is not the Holy Spirit that's speaking. Go back to 1 Corinthians 13 now. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, if I have speech of different men or even spiritual beings, angels, and have not love, I am nothing. 
And part of the point here would be, it seems to me, that you can have a gift and not have the Holy Spirit. You follow me? You can have a gift and not have the Holy Spirit. And this raises another question. What's more important in identifying the presence of the Holy Spirit? What's the better evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in a human life? Is it good gifts? Not necessarily. This would be part of the point, not necessarily. And I want you to see that this is the case. Because the gift could be present without the root of the matter, which is love. 1 Corinthians 13 again. If I have prophetic powers, if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I have prophetic powers and have not love, I am nothing. Let's examine a couple of texts here again. 1 Samuel chapter 10. I think you'll recognize all of these texts. 1 Samuel chapter 10 and uh, verses 9 and 10. Here here, uh, Samuel was uh, or Saul, I should say. Saul was told by uh, Samuel uh, that the Holy Spirit would come upon him and this would be an evidence of the fact that that he would be uh, the new king in Israel. And this is exactly what happens. Uh, Verse 9 in 1 Samuel 10. When he turned his back to leave Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs came to pass that day. Uh, In other words, uh, the Spirit uh, came upon him. When they came to Gibeah, behold, a group of prophets met him, and the Spirit of God rushed upon him, and he prophesied among among them. And when all who knew him previously saw how he prophesied with the prophets, the, the people uh, said to one another, What has come over the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? It's quite evident that uh, here uh, the king prophesies. But what do we learn later about Saul? The Lord rejects Saul. Very striking that this is the case. And on a couple of different occasions, Saul actually tries to murder David, who is his rival with regard to the kingship. There's bitterness and hatred in the heart of Saul. And you have to ask the question, is Saul really an individual who is born again? 
Uh, I think Matthew Henry has a very uh, interesting and helpful comment uh, with regard uh, to uh, uh, King Saul. The Spirit of God came upon him, and he, uh, as the uh, text tells us, he was given another heart. He was given the heart of a king. He had formerly been a shepherd. And now he was given the heart of a king. Uh, the, the text is very careful here and does not say that he was given a new heart, which is an indication of the new birth. In other words, it appears that Saul was anointed as a king and given the ability to rule as a king, but he was never born again. Uh, this is part of the point uh, to be made here, uh, you see. He didn't have the root of the matter in him. You can prophesy and be without love, which is the root of the matter. See, this is what 1 Corinthians 13 is telling us. Uh, uh, here, here's another text now. Uh, let's drop down to uh, uh, Matthew 7. Uh, here's a New Testament text. Matthew 7, uh, verses 21, 22, and 23. Uh, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I... Declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Individuals will say in the day of judgment, well, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not go out and preach in your name? And Jesus will say to them, I never knew you. What an astounding thing. You see, it's possible to have this gift of prophecy, but not have the root of the matter, which is love. Uh, uh, this is astounding uh, as we contemplate it. Uh, what else does 1 Corinthians uh, 13 tell us? Uh, if I have prophetic powers... Uh, and going down to the middle of the verse, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I have faith to say to that mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, but I do not have love, I am nothing. And uh, the theologians uh, will say that uh, this text is an evidence of, of what is called faith for miracles or miracle-working faith in distinction to saving faith. Okay. Uh, let's look at an example uh, of this. Uh, Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. 
uh, verses 1 and 2. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. Here are the twelve. The twelve. And he sent them out. Let's make sure we have this correct here. Matthew 10. I'll go back to Matthew 10, which is a parallel. Matthew 10 and verses 1 through 5. And he called to him his twelve disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The name of the twelve apostles are these, first uh, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, uh, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Who was sent out to preach the gospel, to perform miracles, and to cast out demons and to heal the sick. Judas was among them. You, you see, Judas was empowered to do these things. Yet we know he was reprobate. He was gifted to do these things. Again, 1 Corinthians 13. If I have prophetic powers, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. What is the better evidence for the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life? Love. Isn't this what Paul is telling us? In distinction to special gifts. This is why it's so striking that the Apostle Paul, when he comes to speaking to the various churches, about qualifications for the eldership, he presses immediately to matters of character, matters of heart. And he says very little. He does say, of course, that individuals ought to be able to preach and to teach. But he gets down to matters of heart. What is the better evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit? It's love. And uh, this is what we always uh, must maintain. Uh, Verse 3, if I give away all I have 
if I'm very philanthropic, if I have a love for uh, men and women and boys and girls and children, and I give uh, away all that I have and have not love, I gain nothing. What can you do? Uh, You can give to the church. Uh, You and I can give to uh, various organizations for their support. Uh, You can give to orphanages to uh, uh, support the help of children. But if you do it with improper motives, uh, if you do it without a real love in your heart, for uh, individuals out there, but you do it more uh, because you have a a love in your heart for yourself and you want yourself to be noticed and you want people to pat you you on the back uh, for your giving, uh, you see, what profit is there in it? Well, you could say, well, there's a lot of profit in it because uh, others are helped. Uh, But notice how the text uh, puts it again. Uh, if I give away all I have and if I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. There's no profit in it for me, uh, you see, because I'm doing these things out of wrong motives. Uh, So striking is this. And then, uh, if I deliver up my body to be burned... Uh, versus love. See, each one of these is versus love. If I give my body to be burned. Now, uh, th- there are two or three of you in here, well, maybe more, <laughs> who are uh, old enough to remember that uh, uh, in Vietnam, uh, during the Vietnam War, uh, there were Buddhist monks who would pour gasoline over themselves and light a match and burn themselves to death. And there were pictures of this sort of thing on uh, the cover of Time magazine. Uh, This sort of thing actually happened during that time. Why would individuals do this sort of thing? Uh, because they wanted uh, to call attention to uh, the destruction and devastation that was taking place uh, during that war uh, so long ago. And uh, to uh, the loss of life and uh, this sort of thing. And uh, uh, they they had a kind of uh, love, uh, a a philos, uh, we could say, a brotherly love uh, in their hearts, Uh, for uh, the people of uh, South Vietnam especially. But but they did not have uh, this uh, agape. They did not have this regenerating love. They did not have in their hearts uh, this kind of love. Uh, They were not born again. And this would be part of the point. uh, That people could do these kinds of things. It's, It's startling to us that people could actually do uh, this kind of thing and not have in their hearts 
the kind of love that Paul is talking about here. And uh, uh, so we have it. Uh, Again, uh, read through these uh, three verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. I make a lot of noise. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and have all faith so as to remove mountains and have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and deliver my body to be burned, but have not love, I am nothing. In other words, you can have gifts that have been bestowed upon you, and I can have gifts that have been bestowed upon me by the Holy Spirit, and yet not have the root of the matter in the heart and yet not be born again. I think we have to let that idea sink in. So we're back to the same question again. What is the best evidence for the presence of the Holy Spirit in the heart? Matthew 7 again. Matthew 7, 19 and 20. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. What tells the tale? The fruit that's in your life and in my life. That's the big test, the fruit that's in your life and in my life. Galatians 5. This is so familiar to us, is it not? In many ways, at least. Galatians chapter 5. In verse uh, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things... There is no law. And and of course, the first of the fruit, love. What is the best evidence of the presence 
of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life. It's the love of God poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit who has been given to you. This is the challenge of 1 Corinthians 13. And it's, to me it's striking because very often you and I can look at an individual and say, wow, they're really gifted. But is it the gift in the end? That's the best evidence for the presence of the Holy Spirit. Not necessarily. This is what Paul is telling us. It's love. That's the best evidence. And so, uh, laying this challenge before uh, you and me now, uh, uh, the next step that Paul takes is to Describe this love. And this is where he goes in the next uh, verses. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy or boast. Is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Uh, Bears all things. Believes all things. Hopes all things. Endures all things. Uh, Paul goes into this uh, definition of love. And uh, the, the next time we're uh, together, uh, uh, we want to unpack this definition of love. Uh, having looked at the priority of love uh, over against uh, special gifts that God may give, uh, we want to uh, uh, understand Paul's definition of love. Uh, but since this is a definition of love, uh, we're also going to have to define love as to what uh, love is, and uh, we're going to have to look at how the Bible defines love. And one of the places the Bible defines love is uh, 1 John 5, uh, at the beginning of 1 John 5, and this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. And uh, so what we're going to do the next time we're together is we're going to uh, uh, look at the description of love and the definition of love and uh, put them together all right and so we can uh, better actively and this would be the desire uh, that we should have uh, that we would better actively uh, each one of us uh, live the life of love uh, that the bible uh, exhorts us uh, to live uh, so that's where we're going to go next time okay let's pray Father, thank You for Your goodness and grace. We pray that You'll be pleased to bless us with a better understanding of what the Scriptures teach us here. And it's not our desire, Father, to, or it shouldn't be our desire, to simply have an academic or intellectual grasp of what the Scriptures say. But we want, Father, to live in and by Your Word, by the power of Your Spirit. And so fill our hearts 
with your love, we pray. In the good name of Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. Amen.